most of human history, people have parented the way their parents and grandparents did, with culture providing the cues. We call this Parenting 1.0. For various reasons, parents began to question these approaches, and we started turning more and more to so-called experts to learn to parent. This was the beginning of Parenting 2.0. This allowed for some real advances, but also a lot of confusion as we got further and further away from our natural parenting instincts. Parenting 3.0 is about reclaiming those instincts and integrating them with our current understanding of child development. It brings together the wisdom of the past with the best scientific and psychological research of the present. Parenting 3.0 isn't a fad or a quick fix. It's a set of principles that allows us to engage with our kids and life from an informed and empowered place. I'm Jai Flicker. And I'm Deb Blum. Welcome, Welcome to, to Parenting, Parenting 3.0. Hi everyone. Welcome to today's show on how to stay calm in the face of uh, getting triggered with our kids. Um, something that is basically inevitable. Um, we, we wanted to do a, a show with this theme because after spending all this, all this time on our recent episodes about uh, focus on attachment, we really wanted to take it down into the nitty gritty of, well, okay, all this theory is really helpful, but how do we implement this on a, on a day-to-day basis? And, um, and so we kind of wanted to start with a question of why is it so damn hard to keep our cool? in the face of certain situations with their kids, whether you have a two-year-old like me, who's really just taking her time or not cooperating, or you have a teenager who's ignoring you because they're so uh, glued to their phone or a video game, um, or or just or just being rude, plain rude or disrespectful, or or anywhere in between. These are these are just you know things parents experience daily. Sort of unfortunately, but sort of like inevitably. And um, so we wanted to explore this because um, we think that we want this we want this to be helpful, actually helpful. Yeah. Right. So. right. Because there are a lot of people who talk about theory. But if you don't bring it down to like what's what's really happening in our home, it's not it isn't that helpful. And I know that, you know, there are a lot of people who I think wake up every morning with the intention to be you know this kind of parent whatever they have in their mind and like you know what we're inviting people to do to be like a parent who subscribes to attachment theory right you know and we wake up in the morning and we have the really the best intentions and then we walk downstairs we grab grab our coffee (laughs) all is going well until you know one of the kids comes downstairs or one of the kids wakes up or something and it's hard because, you know, it is so easy to be triggered. And so from my perspective, I feel like there are maybe like two avenues that we need to go down to, to talk about this because there's the what's happening to the parent is really, really important. And then there's the what's happening with our child. Hmm. And I'm grappling with which one is more important to go with first because the what's going on with our child is actually what starts to help us to be able to manage ourselves better in those situations and but but it's also 
um yeah it's like it's hard to it's hard for me to do you have a sense like which which way you want to enter whether you want to enter talking about us and like our our experience of being triggered what i would love is a a short description of each side of them in just Mm. whatever order and then and then we can figure out which one to start with okay well so on the parenting side it's the it's as you said the inevitable being triggered it happens and i would like to explain what a trigger is and explain how and i want to normalize triggers not only do i want to normalize triggers but because of the work i do i like to actually revere triggers Mm. because i believe triggers are the pathway toward us being a more peaceful person I know that that seems like a total contradiction, right? Like your triggers will make you more peaceful, (laughs) but they actually do. I love that. And so that's the piece of understanding the parent, a parent actually understanding like what's going on with us so that we aren't so judgmental of ourselves and that we can actually know that there is a pathway that we can go down that actually we, we can be less triggered. It's not like some you know we have this horrible fate by being a human being that we will be triggered forever and we'll always be reactive no it's not true so that's the that's that piece on the kid side of it it's that um there is a way that we can look at what's happening with our children in a way that will be less triggering you know um one of the biggest reasons why we get triggered is actually because we I like to use the phrase, we make up a story about what's happening. So we somehow are in resistance to the thing that's happening. We're like, we want that to be different. And the minute that we want it to be different and we've labeled it as bad or wrong, we will naturally have a response to it. A certain kind of response. Maybe a (laughs) negative response. Yeah, often a negative response, right. In that in that situation, I mean, sometimes we can label something as good behavior and then we have a different response, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it is the labeling. It is actually the, the idea that we somehow have made up and I, uh, uh, like an interpretation or we have a perception about what's going on. Yeah. That thought process is usually what causes us to get all tied up in knots Yes. and get angry and reactive. So that's why both pieces are so important because if you, if you just understand your triggers, but you, but you, um, still look at your child as someone that we want to like control and you know we want to sort of like and that and that their behavior is actually like in their control and they're being bad yeah if we look at them that way then it's still going to be hard not to get activated so we'll end up probably yeah. getting triggered yeah. and then then just coming into acceptance of being triggered which and, is would be an improvement over what you know just getting triggered and yeah. losing our cool right <laughs> right but right. but there's more it's just more, it sounds to me like the two in tandem, in concert, working together is really ideal. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think so. So, um, well, I'm kind of, um, oh, I can see why you're torn. I'm like, I'm, I'm it's like, <laughs> I'm like so 50 50. I was going to say, let's start with the parent side of being triggered, but I actually want to start with the child side because, partly because I'm just like, so I'm so taken by the idea that the way that we see our kids, the way that we think about them and their behavior, the way we interpret their behavior, like you were just saying, 
uh, really changes our experience of what's going on and how likely we are to get triggered in the first place. For sure. Yeah. And it's not just our children. I mean, this is true in all relationships. Great point. But it's easier to have compassion, I think, for little beings that are dependent on us. You know, I think we can we can find that compassion. Sometimes I think we look at adults and we expect more from them. And I actually think that's something that happens with our teenagers, too. We sort of expect... We simultaneously often expect too much from our teenagers and also not enough from them, you know. But in this case, we're usually expecting too much from them. And just just to fill in that gap or that blank, what would be the example of where we don't expect enough of them? Not well, to go too far down a tangent. Yeah, right? we won't go too far down a tangent, but an example would be just like maybe we we don't expect, we, we <clears throat> think we need to do things for them that they don't need to have done for them you gotcha. know like we yes. we think like oh they can't handle this they you know we don't have faith in them and their process and we believe they should be doing it the way we want them to do it mm. and so we instead of saying oh well i have faith in them they'll figure this out and you know it might take them longer or they might do it in a way that doesn't <laughs> feel good for us but that's kind of what i mean perfect yeah. they expecting too much is usually you know that we think that they should be they should actually be regulated. They, they should shouldn't be, be reactive and they and should be smart and yeah, responsible, efficient, right? Responsible. Yeah. So, well, so it, it's probably good to start with the kids because what we can talk about is the, uh, it'll start to give us an, a better understanding of our nervous systems. I think, I think which is, it, which is sort of, if you break, break it down all the way, keeping our cool, remaining calm, staying grounded, cultivating equanimity yes it has to do with our physiology our 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 nervous systems and so and 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 how we regulate our our nerves our nervous system so how so so that's a good place to start yeah 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 so for sure so um well when i think about a little a child so when a child is born they are um you know we know they're completely dependent on us and I think we think about their dependency in the, the framing of physical needs and emotional needs, but there's actually this other thing that happens that they're learning more and more about and is that children learn to regulate their nervous systems by co-regulating with the people that they're with all the time. And so when our children are in a dysregulated state, so let's just say they're like crying or they're and and crying actually can be a very regulating thing but let's just say they're upset they're frustrated maybe let's just talk about someone like a toddler because i think it's a better example because i think about our babies our little babies um we tend to be a little more quick to meet their needs and um probably don't get as upset with them i think you know tends to be we don't get as upset maybe with our littlest babies but when our babies start to have an opinion about something you know we start having maybe some little power struggles with them. And when a child's nervous system is activated, and let's just, all right, let's use this as an example, a tantrum. A tantrum's a good example. So when they are having a tantrum, they are the absolute description of dysregulated, yeah. right? Yeah. So they want something, they can't have it, they're upset, and they're like, probably their reaction is way out of proportion from what you think it should be based on what it is that they didn't get or they wanted or whatever. <laughs> right? Especially, yeah, if it's like, 
something very mundane and arbitrary. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I wanted the blue cup, not the red cup. <laughs> right? That's you like know. Perfect example. Right. And you're like, really? You're Seriously? Like, you're gonna throw a tantrum over this. Right. right. Seriously. Seriously. And they are. And they are. And so when we when we think about the brain, what happens is our child, and I'm going to keep this as simple as possible, there are way more in-depth um, descriptions of being triggered, of regulate, regulating a nervous system, and there are people who spend their entire life researching this. And so I want to do the best I can to keep it as simple as possible and as short as possible, but to explain it. And please tell me what I miss. Um, but what happens to a child is... Um, or to anyone when they are triggered or when they are dysregulated because they're kind of the same thing but trigger tends to be a little bit more of an extreme um, an outward almost like reaction or like a it show how it shows up in the world so let's just say the child's dysregulated what happens is they are in their the emotional center of their brain and there are words for this you know some people will call it the limbic center and some people talk about the amygdala and so but there's just like just imagine let's just imagine for the moment that it's that you're in the emotional center versus like the thinking center. Okay. Child's in the emotional center. What we typically do in a situation like the red cup, blue cup situation is we come in with reason, which means we use the thinking center of our brain. And we come in with things like, seriously, the pink, I mean, the red cup is fine. Like you're going to be, I don't remember which one I said they wanted or didn't want, but let's just say they wanted the blue cup and like the red cup is fine. The blue cup's in the dishwasher and we try to make sense of it with them. Yes. Well, that is what we're we're really doing then is we're literally like, it's as if we're talking to a friend and we're like, okay, I'm going to meet you at Starbucks on fifth Avenue. And the friend shows up on 15th Avenue and says to you, where are you? I'm at Starbucks. It's like, well, wait, you're not even on the same street. Well, that's what happens with our kids when they enter into this place that they're in their emotional center of their brain. When mom or dad comes in and they try to meet them in the kid's thinking brain, yeah. the kid's just not there. Yeah. And so what do we have to do? We meet them in their emotional center of their brain. I'm just, I'm just I can't help but add here that, that I see this same... I'm going to call it a fallacy or mm-hmm. it's not really a fallacy. It's a, a un, uh, ineffective strategy mm, yeah. being used with teens all the time. It's not usually over such a mundane external event, but it really, it really is common where parents will try to sort of rationalize and reason with their kids when the kids really in a more in their emotional center and it does not work and then and this starts to get into uh, i hope i'm not jumping ahead too much here but it starts to get into the story the narrative the the interpretation because then it's it's very easy i think for people to start especially with teens like with these expectations to start to go oh wow my kid really is you know like sort of intentionally willfully not listening or being disrespectful or so irresponsible or on and on and on and um and so i think this is just this one point alone is so helpful and and powerful because it's like if we understand that part of the problem is just we're we're just missing we're we're like 
one brain is in the one type mode and the other it's like literally different languages going right We're past speaking each other different languages yeah. yeah and uh and so of course it's not going to work yep so so yes so coming into meeting and meet like we have to meet people where they are that's exactly it right <laughs> it's meeting somebody where they are yeah. instead of trying to get them to be where you are and the and the well, key... and, and and can I interrupt? For... Yeah. To get them where you are, the only hope, if that is the goal, is to first meet them where they are Absol- and then lead guide them. Guide them there. Yeah. Well, is exactly it. It's like arguing with reality. Like you're arg- you're trying to get them where you want them to go by like you know Insisting strong that they arming be them there right? already. <laughs> right. Instead yeah. of and I get it because I I still fall in the trap of rationalizing in 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 times when I'm not. Whether I'm triggered or I'm just not conscious, I'm just not paying attention. I'm just not in. I'm not present yeah. in some way. Yeah. I can still do that. But um, when this happens to to a person, that's the the key thing is that um, one little like teaser of a, a way we have to change our way of looking at this is that you know under the age of like 25 years old, your brain is not your prefrontal cortex, the thinking part of your brain. It's just not fully developed. So we have to actually be this for our children we have to be we have to be the guide for them we have to show them how to do this and the more we show them the more we model this and the more we can do this for ourselves the more they will the faster they will develop their prefrontal cortex which i love because that seems like it really ties the two sides together yeah why we we want this for our children we also need to work on our own stuff and they end up yes being very What's the word? Like, Integrated. Yeah. Well, that's what. Right. You mean the 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 part? You mean the parts of the brain? Are you talking about <laughs> the people? Because <laughs> they're both. <laughs> it's all integrated. Um, I was thinking that um, there's this complementarity between between us doing. I mean, obviously, in a sense, but I think it it it's helpful to to look at them individually, but then also explicitly. Yeah show how they interrelate which is when we do our own work we're, we're yes. going to be not there's sort of a double positive there's we're totally. going to be more grounded and peaceful ourselves so we're going to be more present with our kids and more able to sort of not get reacted in the first reactive in the first place but we're also going to be modeling for them the very behavior and totally. sort of the type of um nervous system that we want them to ideally inhabit yeah so and and by the way just like scientifically co-regulation is a real thing so it's not just modeling it's literally co-regulating so that's mm, the other things mm. our kids are literally co-regulating it's like something that happens that we can't it's like it's like breathing air it's happening without us knowing it just it's yeah. a, a thing that happens in, in between human directions. beings in both directions meaning if we're if we're constantly in an agitated state, they're co-regulating. They're going to co-regulate to that. Absolutely, and right, and so no question. And so those are. That's why it's so important because we're not only not only are we modeling it, not only are we doing our own work, and that's great too because then we won't be triggered as much. But we're also literally forming their brain by by being by by being able to meet them in their emotional center of their brain. And then guide them to their prefrontal cortex. It's that channel. It's like a channel that allows them to develop that. 
and to um, and and just going back to like attachment theory you know really part of our job in in parenting is to help our kids to know that they are they're like their needs are taken care of and that they're safe and that they're like seen by us and so if we keep missing the mark by meeting them in their prefrontal core in their in their thinking trying to meet them in their thinking brain but they're not there they're in their emotional brain we're not seeing them we just aren't we just can't be seeing them we're basically wanting them to be someone they're not in that moment and one of the reasons why we do this is because we um, we genuinely want them to be like we're afraid for them in the world. We don't want them to be just an emotional mess. We want them to be to do okay in the world, but we also want them to be emotionally healthy. And inadvertently, we often shut down their emotional their ability to be the their, the emotional being that we all are. We kind of shut that down, not on purpose. It's accidental. It's like inadvertent because we really are trying. We're doing what we think is good for them, which is like, you know, you can't go to preschool and be a crying mess over everything. You're not going to get your way all the time. I have to show you that you're not going to get your way all the time, right? There's like a way that yeah, we really think yeah. we're doing the right thing. But actually what our kids need, and we all, I mean, I can tell you that in my head, there is a little part of me that will almost always go to like, a, I need to teach a lesson kind of mm, a place. Mm-hmm. And I have to sort of quiet that voice and remember that my only real job is to always see my child, to meet my child where they are and to help to guide them. And I have to take a, you know, a, a longer view on this that yeah. I have, you know, 20, I have 18 to 20 something years for, for my child to get there. Or even longer. Or even longer. Right. Right. Seriously, I'm working on, I've been, I didn't really mature in some of these ways until I was like now, mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm just now, I'm just now maturing. <laughs> I hate to say that, but it's true. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, it, it is helpful to take that long view. I really think so. And, and, and looking at my own, I mean, I'm still not just learning in, as an individual, but I'm also still like, um, cultivating and refining and, and benefiting from my relationships with my many parents, parents and step parents. Sure, so, right. so it's just, it, it, it's very clear to me that these, these, um, lessons, they, it's, it's that sense of urgency. I, I get it. And at the same time, taking some of that pressure off, I think is, is helpful in understanding like this, there really is this long view that's helpful um, can be, can take, can help with take that, taking that pressure off. Yeah, for um, sure. I wanted to come back to something about, well, I think it's about the, the way that the, the brain evolves. I think that was, that's just so fascinating to me that, that, that the way that the way that this takes place, I mean, we, we started to hear more about mirror neurons and how you know when we see somebody else's emotional state, we 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 kind of have a um, it it could be an empathetic or or a sympathetic response where we mirror that person's mm-hmm. um, emotion, and um, and I think this is really what I was I was thinking earlier as as you were talking about why we might be motivated to to try to you know say okay come on like uh, you know. You, you can't go into preschool this way or whatever. Um, there's also, I know for myself and I've seen this in others. Um, there's a way in which 
when our children are crying or in distress, dysregulated, frustrated, um, it can be so painful for us. Yes. So uncomfortable and mm-hmm. so alarming that mm-hmm. even if we're thinking, I think there's this pro- projection thing that happens where we're thinking, oh, I want to p- help relieve their distress. Yeah. But we're kind of maybe more motivated by our <laughs> to our relieve own our distress. own distress. Mm-hmm, for sure. And so there's just a way of like, I think owning that is really important and and helpful and and um you know because there's there and we we mentioned in an earlier episode how kids are often more resilient than we give them credit for and i think emotionally that's true because um i i mean i don't think kids necessarily like crying but i also think it's kind of a normal part of their existence especially Mm -hmm when they're infants and you know toddlers so if a if a child's crying they might not actually be in distress about the crying right whereas we are we are in distress or <laughs> we all are. too often are in distress and so um so yeah so so when i remember that and i can just it, it allows me to not feel like I need to fix something yeah. and just be more present and available. Yeah. And yeah. so so I think that's helpful. Yeah. And I just want to acknowledge that like when my kids were younger, that was that was really hard for me. I mean really, really hard for me. When my kids cried, I always felt like I had to like come in and rescue them. And um so it took time for me to understand that. I, I don't know that I ever really got it. In the years that they were really young and crying all the time, I, do, I probably didn't get that. And I, it was probably a helpful thing to know. I mean, Dor- Gordon Neufeld talks about that crying is a really helpful thing, that crying is a release and that it's really important. Believe me, my kids cried. It's just inside I would feel a lot of distress and I definitely felt the impulse to try to fix it yeah. rather than just to be like I didn't I didn't come to the place where I was really relaxed with it where yeah. it was just like, "Oh, I can just be with you." Luckily, I learned some of these pieces and so I, I put them into practice, but I definitely think that like it's like I think that if anyone can it's sort of like how do you find a balance in there, right? We don't want to ignore their crying ever, but we don't always have to fix something. And right. And it, you know, one thing that's been helpful for me around that impulse to go in and fix and change, it comes from a really a style of, of I don't know if it's therapy or counseling, you would call it, but it's called motivational interviewing. Mm. And, and it was developed actually around treating addiction because um regular all the different available regular styles of of therapy just weren't working Mm -hmm. and so um so they so so they developed this this very non-directive form of interaction called motivational interviewing that's that's that proved to be uh, more helpful than almost anything else. And one of the things, one of the concepts that they they came up with was um, the writing reflex, um, R-I-G-H-T, write, not 
not like right, writing. <laughs> scribbling with a yeah. pen or pencil, <laughs> the writing reflex. And it's the reflex. And we, I, I'm sure every parent um, and most non-parents, if not all, will have a felt sense of this, of, of seeing someone sort of going down a path that might not be ideal and wanting to step in and fix and change and, and, yep. and, and alter that path. That's the writing reflex, and and in and they talk about very explicitly the importance of sort of resisting, just like you said, mm-hmm. that that urge to to fix. And obviously, it's coming from a place of wanting mm-hmm. to help that person avoid pain and suffering. But um, it's it it can be experienced and often is experienced as controlling. Yep. And so it gets resisted, which then just leads to frustration on both both sides of the equation. Um, and so when we re- when we re- resist our temptation to 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 act out on act out this writing reflex, I find it um, it allows me. It's like what's left if we're not going to get like actively involved is it, what is left to us. And, and really the main thing is just to be present, to be present. And, and when I'm present, I'm much more able to start to attune because I can start to see or get a felt sense of where that person is. I can start yeah. to see, Oh, they're really in there in this, in this context, in their emotional brain. So I'm not, I'm just going to let them, they might need to work through some emotions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll just add one thing here, I, I'm, I, and that is going back to earlier how we were saying that d- different stories lead to different um, ways of relating. And I think one story that we often have is just that you know emotions are sort of bad, mm-hmm. right? It, especially the negative emotions of of if some if someone's upset. But I think if we understand that emotions are are a process by which we do work through things and that we do release in the process i mean literally cortisol comes out the stress hormone in our tears right so so even just knowing that it's like okay well maybe you just need to like get some cortisol out and uh so good for you um but if I come back to that place of, hey, they're working through something and they and they just, you know, whether it's my two-year-old who might have just had a really kind of crazy day and it's just kind mm-hmm. of uh, worked up and needs to kind of release some of that energy through, through crying or whether it's a teenager, if I'm sitting across from them and they've had a, you know, a tough day or gone through a breakup or and they just need to kind of like let it out. If I can, if I, if I resist that, writing reflex and I come back into my my own presence it allows them a safe space to do that and 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 the process kind of has an an intelligence of its own that ends up really being beneficial right and there and so there is a trust in their own process a trust in their process and then there's also a way that you know one of the things that I I know now better that but I didn't have words for it at the time is that I think it's really important for our kids to know that they can have emotions and that they will move through them and that they don't have to risk that you're not going to be able to handle it. Like they can, they can know that you, the parent are going to be able to kind of like be with them walking alongside, even when they're going through really hard stuff. 
And often what happens is that when our kids are going through something hard and it starts when they're really little and it seems insignificant to us, but to them it's a big deal, like the cup thing, you know, it seems like a big deal when we minimize that, you know, that that's a big deal to them. It's like they're um, beginning to get the, the impression that their, their issues, their pain isn't being heard, you know, and I don't want to be over dramatizing because, you know, I don't think we have to be 100% on, you know. In fact, there was that study that I sent to you that said that even in secure, attached, securely attached children, that it, they misattune 70% of the time. So it's not like we're talking about this has to be perfect, but we just have to know that we, we have, it's a practice is more what it is. It's a practice. I want to kind of go all the way back, though, for a moment to what happens when the, the child's um, in their emotional brain and then the parent, what, what it means to actually meet them there. Because what, we, what it doesn't mean is it doesn't mean to, to go to their level. And that's what a lot of us mm. do is, right? Like we meet them, they're being as emotionally a mess as they are. We basically <laughs> regress. Like, and that's really, and part of what happens is what you said before with mirror neurons. It's actually a true thing that yeah. they are dysregulated and you are co-regulating to them. Yes. And we don't want to co-regulate. It goes back to being a unidirectional thing where it's like, this is not bi-directional. We are not to be getting our nerve. I mean, okay, so if if their nervous system is really calm and you want to regulate to them, I mean, okay, whatever. What's the harm? But if they're in a messy place, they're emotionally a mess, and then you don't, you're not aware. And all of a sudden, it's so easy to co-regulate to their dysregulated nervous system. Yes. And um, I wanted to say something that, you know, it's so funny because I think so most of us think we only have like the only tool we have is words Mm -hmm. or like physical control or something like that. Like I'm going to put you in the tub. I'm going to pick you up and put you in the tub. And we only think that's available. And then when we learn about the nervous system and we realize that like, whoa, there is so much more that is available to us as parents and so imagine you're in this situation and your child is now a mess, right? Like crying and totally upset. And it's in that moment where we, where we have some choices. You know, we can either co-regulate to them and become a mess with them. That's probably not going to be very helpful. Most of us have done that at some point or, or another and realize it doesn't work. We can come in and start rationalizing. So we can try to meet them where they're not and, you know, be in their head, in their, in their thinking brain. And that's not going to work. Because they're just not there. You're literally, I've actually had this feeling before, and I'm curious if other people have, like, where I'm speaking to my child in this, like, rationalizing thing, and they're literally not there. I can feel their vacancy because I'm, because they're actually not there. And where they are is in their emotional center. So, what does that mean? Because it doesn't mean meeting them there, right? In that way. It doesn't mean showing up and being in that place the same way as they are. But what it does mean is it, it means that we are able to, take a couple of breaths and calm ourselves down first, right? So it means that we have to, and so I'm kind of giving a little bit of both. We're, we're going almost down in. both. They're tied, They're tied in. in. Yeah, maybe that's how it has to be. Maybe it's yeah. not separate. Um, though I do want to at some point at the end, I think just talk about what, what the like kind of defined the like fight, flight, freeze, freeze. kind of pieces yeah. of it. But um, I think so what happens is we, we take some breaths so that we can actually remember we're the parent and that we need to be the person that the child can co-regulate to. So this is an example of like, you, this can be happening very quickly. It doesn't have to, in the beginning it won't, it'll take more time. But 
We have that moment and we take a nice breath. A nice elongated out breath is the calming breath. So, you know, regular breath in, a long out breath. (sighs) And you can actually pay attention to the places in your body that are getting activated and just sort of like, just be with them. We don't have to stop them from being that. It was just, there's a difference between feeling triggered and speaking out or acting out the trigger. So you can feel triggered inside. You can feel like you want to stop this, but you can resist that urge. You can feel the writing reflex and you can, mm, I'm not going to. So what am I going to do? I'm going to try to be as present as I possibly can. And in that moment, what we're doing is we're just, we're like our presence is really what they need. So if you could do nothing else in that moment, but be present with them, that's awesome. We think we have to have words. Well, that's great. And if eventually we can bring words to it, that's great. But even if we're just there and we're going, we're just breathing and calming our nervous system, we are actually, we're, we're creating safety for our child. And in that time, we're also possibly we're, we're doing things like nodding at them. Possibly we're Maybe we've decided to pick them up and put them on our lap. Maybe that feels like the right thing to do. But what becomes available, the more present we become, is it doesn't have to become a thinking exercise anymore. We're now kind of saying like, wait, I'm just with my child. You know, and so some words that might get spoken might be something like, I see you really wanted that blue cup. I see that. Because what you're starting to do is just get them to like you're now. So one of the most calming things you'll ever experience in your nervous system, and this is like all people, this is all human beings, is when someone hears you, understands you, and sees you. It is the most calming thing to your nervous system. What is the most un like the most disruptive, dysregulating thing to your nervous system is when someone um, breaks eye contact with you, when they don't understand you, when they interrupt you when they turn away and just you know get distracted by something else when they try to rationalize with you when you are just feeling sad right those are all things we as adults can relate to right (laughs) you're like showing me all the expressions and it's true each one i'm like oh ouch ouch right so we know this we know this about us we know that that's like those are hard things to deal with and so All what we really want is just to feel like someone is there with us in our pain or in our happiness or in our whatever, like that someone's meeting us on the same street. So in this situation, the minute that we say, like, you really wanted that cup, like I totally see that you really wanted that cup. And they're like sobbing, you know, and maybe maybe don't even hear you yet. And you're like, I can see you're really upset right now. Right? You're just acknowledging truth, right? You're just speaking the truth of the situation. You're not judging it. You're not deciding like you should or shouldn't be. I mean, yes, you might be, (laughs) but you're trying to walk yourself away from the judgment and into the place of just being literally with the situation. Yeah. You know, and you're just being with them. And those are the kinds of things that the child slowly is able to come, start to walk with you. And then, like, say you're, you've now like walked them a little way like let's just say it was a continuum and now you're halfway between your emotional brain and your thinking brain and they're starting to like look at you and say yes yes you know (laughs) and then you say you know and you say i know it's really hard when you can't get what you want and i get that it's really disappointing and and it's it's true it's just hard i know sometimes i can't get what i want and i feel a lot of sadness and sometimes i want to 
cry too. Hmm. So, right? So you're just empathetic to them. You're not needing to, you're not changing anything because this is the longer arc of learning of that, like you don't need to change it in the moment. It might not even be, it might be five minutes later, it might be five days later that you finally have a conversation. But let's just say that we come around to the place where now, you know, she's okay. She's like, she's kind of calming down and you're now snuggling and you're just talking. And you might say something like, I mean, it might be a time where you just say something like, you know, I know that's what you want. You can't have it, but do you want to go over and try to figure out which cup you want now or something like that because that one is in the dishwasher and you're just not going to get it and so now we're using our sense we're in our thinking brain they get to understand like okay well i'm not going to get it so what do i want to get you know but that doesn't come first because they're just not there they're They're literally not there there. at, at the start yeah and i will tell you i can almost assure you it will always take you longer to get the other get there the other way it just mm, seems mm. like you're taking the fast track, but actually all of a sudden you got derailed and now you're like, you know, you, you ruined dinner. <laughs> like, you know, there, nobody is having a good night. You know, all kinds of things are going wrong and they and they still didn't get their cup. That You know, you still didn't give them the cup. It's not like they, you know, the, the cup was dirty or the cup is in the car and daddy has it or something. Who knows, you know, all kinds of reasons. So they still didn't get it and everybody's upset. Yeah. You know, and you're upset and you go to bed feeling guilty again that you didn't do that. You didn't, you know, yeah, not that dinner was a big fight or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is, yeah, this is so important. I'm, I'm just, I'm thinking about one thing and we talk at different times about the importance of not just l- l- latching on to strategies because they can be so easily misapplied. We have to situate them in a larger context and kind of have some, and and I feel like one way I've seen this particular, kind of what you're talking about, about about saying some, of, of, of using words to mirror or reflect back what we see Mm -hmm. in the child. One way I've seen it kind of feel off is when we go to it too soon as a strategy. Mm. Um, I'm just, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm sort of thinking of, I'm, we'll just stay with the cup yes. situation, <laughs> right? So I could imagine mm. it being more effective for me with my two-year-old in that moment where she's really disappointed to just scoop her up and say, come here sweetie come here and hold her and not have it be about the cup or or about even what she's feeling trying to put language to it i mean some of this might be because of her age yeah um but there's a way in which i feel like doing that really kind of goes it, it 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 really goes more to the core of the emotional center of it all and i i shift really into my emotional supportive core yeah and and i think it takes it takes a certain amount of effort and intentionality to if i'm not in that in that part of my brain to kind of divert my my energy into from sort of a thinking mode to a feeling mode 
And so I think there's a mm-hmm. way in which we could sort of avoid doing that work of sh- actually shifting gears by going to the th- like thinking, oh, this is that situation. Let me apply this strategy. I'm going to mm-hmm. name, ah, you're feeling um, really upset. I, you know, and, and, and so it kind of, even though it might be, there is an element of mirroring. I don't think that on the felt sense, on the, uh, the experiential side of the, the child side, they're going to feel fully met there, even though the language might actually kind of at least sort of approximate what they're feeling. Hmm. I'm trying to think if I, I mean, so it depends. And so that's part of the reason why I think that in an ideal world, we have gotten present pretty quickly first because then we're really attuning so we are really tapping into what's needed in that moment yeah i probably would say it does depend on the age i and the reason why i say that is because you know there were plenty of times there was no picking up my kids like that i wasn't able they weren't and that was not going to happen they were like they were not interested in anything from right, me. They were right. really mad at me yeah, yeah. at that moment. And so I literally could have been, you know, yeah, there was just no, they did not want, I mean, maybe I could have you know, forced myself on them and that might have been a solution for them, but I don't think that that's really what they wanted in that moment. They really wanted the cup, like say, for example, that's what they wanted. They were angry that they weren't getting the cup, and that's what, what they age thought. are you imagining? Well, here? so I'm not th- let's just the cup isn't as good of an example in that in that as they get older because they do think because I do think that um, I don't know if my kids were they definitely did fight over cups when they were younger. I just don't remember <laughs> which age they were no, at. But, but, but like forget they, about the the external mm-hmm. scenario for a second. Yeah. If you're if you're having if you're you know the your kid is mad and he or she doesn't want to be picked up which i mean i i have that same situation sometimes you know yeah i go in i go come here and she's like no you know it's just like okay okay you need your space um but i'm just curious what you're are you picturing a nine-year-old are you picturing a six-year-old are you picturing a 12-year-old well i mean i do this all the time like i do this with our my kids now all the time and so um, but I definitely am not picking them up anymore. I can assure mm-hmm, you of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so I, I like what you're saying and I, I agree with you in that I think there's something really um, simple about what you're saying. Like more simple about just like, like it's like instead of having to go into your head, you just sort of connect with them. But I also think that when you're already in your head, so a lot of times that's what's happening, you know, like I'm, I'm going to speak for me, like I'm in my head, I'm like cooking dinner, I'm doing something, whatever, I'm trying to get through my to do list, and then something happens. So I'm already in my head. So just like they need to be walked from their emotional center to their thinking brain, I have to be I have to walk myself from my thinking center to my emotional brain. Sometimes those words are actually for me. Mm, so sometimes those words are for me to get connected to their experience. So I'm, if I have nothing else I can do in that moment, I can breathe and I can start just like saying what I see. 
I can just start saying what I see because I can I can try to not put judgments on, around it, not put because that's where it goes wrong. Is when we start doing things like you know, you're you're a mess, like you know what's wrong with you, or like you know you start kind of like labeling it. You know, if I just start saying like you're really upset, you didn't get the pink, the red cup, the blue cup, whatever, whatever it is that I'm saying, or like you're really upset that you didn't get the grade that you wanted, or something like that. You know, if I say something like I'm really upset that you didn't get the grade that you wanted or or that's like or if I even just say something like, you know, um, I, I don't need to join them, I guess is the point. I don't need to join them in whatever they're going. I'm just saying what I see happening. That guides me to my heart mm. because I start to get into an emotional place with them. I get to be like, oh, like that does suck that they're going through that right now. Like, I was being judgy, but if I can get beyond my judginess, like, I guess I would be disappointed if I were little and I wanted something and I couldn't have it. So I'm now regulating my nervous system at the same time. I'm calming myself down and I'm meeting them to where they are. So I hear what you're saying, and I do get that it can seem like a strategy, and, you know, I don't think there's never going to be strategies, um, but I, I think it comes from the place of, it really comes from the place of, like, how can I create a safe a safe space for my child that that I'm the parent and they're the child it's so alpha oh yeah we have talked about alpha (laughs) (laughs) it's so alpha it's the most loving alpha thing we can do is to basically be the open arms that says you can go through anything and I'm going to be with you Mm. I can manage my own nervous system and I can be with you in this situation I can hold it all. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I love that. I mean, I think I've heard people say, like, I felt like I was too much for my parents. Mm. Yeah. Right? For sure. I had really big feelings and I was just too much for them. Yeah. And that's not a good feeling. Yeah, because you're still, you're just not being met. You're not being met. You're not being 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 held. held. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. So so there's a safety in, in that. There's a safety in feeling like, you know they're that way and um that the parent the parent is that way and and then we've guided them and then we can go into talking about things and we can make sense of things but again there have been times with my kids where i don't talk about the the we don't make sense of it right away it's a it's a couple days later that i say hey remember that thing the other day when that thing happened you know i might go as far as just saying something like i I didn't like the way you talked to me and i just want you to know that and i want you to know it's not okay with me and I was with you, and I and I will always be with you. And I also want you to figure out other ways. And sometimes I'll ask them, do you want to brainstorm other things you could have said to me? Or do you just want to come up with on your own? But so I still set a limit, but I might not set a limit in that time. Because sometimes my kids, sometimes kids, not my kids, all kids, sometimes people take time to come from their emotional center to their thinking center. It can take, I have been triggered before where I have been in some of my worst times, I have been triggered for weeks. I'm triggered for weeks. I'm raw about the thing for weeks. There's no making sense of it yet. I can attempt to, but I can't do it. So I know there are times I can feel when my kids are kind of past the point where now it's no, there's no longer the charge anymore of whatever happened. Yeah. So that's one thing. Do you have more on that? Because I, I feel I like... Have a, I, have a, I have a one idea or one thought from, from before about, um, you know, in the moment another you know for me coming back from the edge of actually being fully triggered um 
for me, um, most of my ability to kind of do a good job as a parent, if you want to call it Mm -hmm. that, um, in those emotionally charged moments is not about just exerting some superhuman willpower to not get triggered in that moment. It comes from having done practice in advance. Yes. So I, I just, I guess I wanted to just talk a little bit about that and say like, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time, a fair amount of time. I mean, I don't want to go overboard, but uh, a, a fair amount of time throughout my adult life. Um, exploring meditation and mindfulness and different techniques of centering some you know like I've, I, I did some qigong and you know mm-hmm. that was very calming and grounding and 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 centering um so so those I, I i knew in the in the moment that especially with the qigong that i was we were talking about how we're like we're like attuning our nervous system we're calming and soothing our nervous system and that felt really good and and in meditation um i i could even even though that language didn't come up as much i could feel myself getting more grounded and centered and getting practice at being at non-reactivity of like agitation arising and going oh my goodness and then saying okay i'm just gonna sit with it and breathe and Mm -hmm. and it's like there's a way in which it's kind of like the grain of sand that forms the pearl. You know, it's like this thing, this yeah. irritating mm-hmm. gra- experience. Mm-hmm. If if we if we sit with it, as anyone who's you know spent some time doing this will probably have uh, the experience of it. Kind of just just by staying with it, something forms so a, a, a bigger space opens up around it. That spaciousness, yeah. and. Um, and so um, I certainly wasn't thinking, to be just honest, I was not thinking at all when I was doing these meditation retreats or whatever about, oh, this will be so helpful for parenting. It was sort of this really massive sort of unexpected yeah. side benefit, or it turns out maybe it wasn't the side benefit. Maybe <laughs> right. it was the main benefit all along. I don't know. <laughs> it was divine. It was so helpful. Yes. And, um, but, but, um, but so I know that when there's, there's a mode that I have now that I can engage and I don't always like remembering to do so is a big part of it. But when, um, my daughter's really losing it and I'm tempted, like sort of being dragged down with her emotionally, like to, to, or, or my, that, that pull to start to like kind of regress into that same dysregulated state is 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 happening there is a mode where i can sometimes not always but sometimes catch it and go okay i'm gonna shift into a different mode here i've been here before and i have a sort of my own seat that i can take and just go i'm just gonna be present and 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 it's so that's just I think it's it's really helpful and and it's possible that if I had come to meditation later that I mean I I I have been a terrible meditator in many ways because I just cannot stand sometimes sitting there and watching my breath. 
It just was like, (laughs) come on, you know, I mean, to be honest, right? Um, But there are certain things that I am willing to endure for the sake of others more than I am if it's just for my own personal benefit, Mm -hmm. whether it's for the teens that I work with or my own daughter. And so I, I just, I wonder, I haven't quite tried this, but I, I, I just want to throw it out there. It could be helpful for other people to, you know, if you, if you feel like you want to cultivate more groundedness and you think, oh, mindfulness or meditation would be helpful, maybe the motivation to do so could come as much, if not more, from wanting to be there for your child than for just trying to be a better person I totally agree I'm also I've also been meditating for many years but I didn't meditate before I had children and I do feel like it's it's a it's a huge advantage for people who have because I think it makes a really big difference and I think that um, it's changed it I would say it's changed my life but I do meditation in many forms and I I like you I do not consider myself to be an excellent meditator or anything but the other two things I want to invite people to consider as um, possible uh, tools, and then I would love to talk a little bit more about um, changing our mindset about our children. But two other tools. One is journaling. Because part of what you're doing when you meditate is you're watching your thoughts. You're not getting hijacked and you're not getting like grabbed by them, but you are watching them. And you're trying to like let your thoughts go without attaching to, onto them. Well, sometimes what you can do in journaling is the same thing. So you can be writing them out, but like letting them go, sort of like it's a way of letting them go. And so journaling is really good. In fact, if I would say now, present day, my practice is a journaling practice. Um, and someday I can share more about that because it's been so helpful for me. The second thing, which is um, probably the thing that mm, changed my life, I would say, changed my life, saved my marriage, probably I would say, is um, learning how to do inquiry into our thoughts. And so for me, that was Byron Katie's work. So there's a thing you can go to, it's called thework.com, and you can actually go out and um, this goes back to someday I really want to talk more in more depth about why I love triggers so much. Um, but the, uh, Byron Katie has a worksheet called Judge Your Neighbor, I think, or Judge Thy Neighbor. And it's the point that, um, you know, triggers and judgments and blame and criticism, they're actually information. And if the more you can do inquiry work around them, the less you will get triggered in the long run so there are two parts to being about about triggering there is the part about the awareness of the trigger and then being able to calm yourself down and then not react but there's also doing the work so that you're literally not triggered as much anymore and so um and so let me let me talk for a moment about how we might be less triggered by our children great so before i do that i just want to say um or actually kind of along the lines with this what's important to note about our children is like they're not doing this on purpose like even the thing about like the red cup versus the blue cup it's not like the the kid isn't like i just want to make my mother's life miserable right now like i see she's in the middle of something i'm just gonna like ruin it now it's possible that they're feeling like they're not getting attention and they might act out for that. But it still comes from a deep need that they have, which is a, a need for attention, you know, yeah. a need for some connection. 
So they might be acting out in that way, but they're not, they are not thinking that way. And even most teenagers aren't thinking that way. They're just, what happens to our, to, to all people is that we start, we, we have an inner experience. Like a child has an inner experience. They do not know what that is. Like even the desire for connection. They aren't going to go. They're not necessarily going to say like, hi, daddy. Like I just need some connection right now. Like that's not probably what they're going to do. They're going to act out. So let imagine what acting out is. It's like, it's like I feel something and then I act it out instead of I don't have the words for it. So I must act it out. It's like charades and you are the person who gets to be the detective or the person on the other side who gets to figure this out. What is it that they need in this moment? And the, the, the mantra that I use, I'm telling you it is like, it's been a lifesaver for my marriage and for my parenting is that the thing is never the thing. So it's always like the kid, the kid is doing the thing about the cup but it's actually because something happened during the day that like they were really upset and it's their way of acting out the emotion that they don't know how to put into words yet, that they don't understand. And that is happening with all human beings all the time, by the way. It's surprising we can have the types of healthy relationships we have because so often we don't even know what we're feeling. To this day, I can often have something, I don't know what I'm feeling and I'm like, I'm like almost like grasping at what is it that's like this uncomfortable thing and I'm acting it out in all these ways and finally I'm like, oh my God, right. I'm feeling hurt from that conversation an hour and a half ago, (laughs) you know, and I didn't, I just didn't get there. So imagine if we're going through that, our kids are going through it all the time. They do not have the words yet. And so that's why for me, it's just been, I just think of myself yeah, you know, it's so funny because I'm I'm like feeling a sensitivity to this idea of like is this a strategy? But it's not. It's a way of being. It's like I consider myself to be um, an emotional coach for my child, you know, and and that's including my nervous system. And so it's really like to some degree, it's also giving language to emotions. It's like you know, being able to to like uh, um, all right. So if my kids would say things that were rude to me. I would often say to them, you must be really angry to have said something like that to me. What's going on? Love it. Okay, because they wouldn't normally say something. Like there, there's got to be something going on inside of you. What is it that's going on? And a lot of times it's not, they still couldn't give me the words. But what they got in that moment was a little, just one more acknowledgement that like, first of all, they're not wrong for acting out their emotions. But also they're learning the language. They're learning like maybe the next time they might say, mom, I'm really angry instead of, you know, I hate you, which my kids didn't tend to say I hate you. I know a lot of kids do. I don't even know that my kids ever said I hate you. I think I made it through all these years and they've never said that to me. Love it. But they have said other, other sure, things to me. Sure. Well, and I, and one thing I like about that, where, you, where your, your response in that situation where you say, you must be feeling really ang- angry to have said that. Um, it feels like it's sort of, it's communicating this generous in- interpretation. Mm. Mm. It's like saying, it's sort of implied in there, wow, this is not like you. Yes. 
this is this 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 instead of saying you are so rude you are really getting to be a disrespectful person which kind of kind of reinforces a, a, a negative mm. identity you're saying wow you there must be some extenuating circumstances for mm. you to be acting mm-hmm. like like that yeah and and if i was on the receiving end of that message i would want to naturally change my behavior for the positive to match up with your positive implied mm. view of me mm. so i think there's a, that's a a brilliant aspect to that response that is a little bit it's it's included but is a little different than um just naming yeah the emotion but but it but but that's also it not to, not to uh downplay the importance of the emotional naming because i think if uh, at the same time i mean it hap- it's working on all these different levels it is simultaneously if I, at the same time if if you say to me wow you must be really angry to have said that um i'm gonna immediately go oh am i yeah. <laughs> i'm gonna start to wonder am i angry or and in either i'm gonna feel totally seen like oh wow yeah i am angry and so you just totally nailed it like wow she gets me uh more than i even get myself and that's gonna feel good or let's say it's not it does it's not exactly anger it's frustration which maybe is just a shade different or maybe i'm just really upset or sad or hurt um at the very least, I'm like, I'm feeling this generous interpretation. I'm, and I'm getting that you're pointing to there's something else going on. Uh, maybe it's anger and, but, but no, it's, and then all of a sudden I'm, I'm more likely to say, no, I'm not, I'm not angry. I'm, I'm, I'm just sad. Yeah, exactly. Right. I think so. There, there's just so many positive things about that. Um, and it avoids saying something hurtful yes so so i think i mean i guess i want to i want to just sort of say something about this i don't want to demonize using strategies too much (laughs) just a little bit no it's kidding i i it's like i think there are two kinds of two kinds of not just two kinds of strategies but two meanings of the word Mm -hmm. where one is like sort of latching on to a fragment of just like uh, sort of the simple, simplistic exactly. idea yeah. where it's just like, yeah. if if my kid does this, I do this. Exactly. And there's no context. Yeah. There's no understanding. There's no, um, there's no depth. But if you have a strategy that's, that is context, properly contextualized and does have a connection to depth, then I think it's really useful to have sort of a general strategy um, so I just wanted. Yeah. To, well, thank you. Yeah. Because <laughs> I know I was being all self-conscious about it, <laughs> but um, but I do think that this in in this case to me it's it's still it's still so much attachment theory. It might not be like attachment theory in the way that maybe Gordon Newfeld talks about it or something like that, but it's still based on relatedness or relate relating. It's really. I think that the key thing is, like at at some deep level. If we can understand that our children will not emotionally mature if we do not lend them some of our parts, like our prefrontal cortex, like if we're not there guiding them, 
they will not emotionally mature. At least they will. They may emotionally mature, but I don't think they're going to emotionally mature in the way that we are hoping that they will, because they actually do need the guidance. They actually don't have the words to articulate what they're feeling inside. And almost all bad behavior, like what we've labeled as quote unquote bad behavior, almost all bad behavior is simply a dysregulated child, a child who doesn't understand what's going on, a child who feels feelings inside that they cannot explain. And it could be nothing to do with the situation. It could be something to do with another situation. Well, it's coming out. Hearing you say that just kind of um, a little light bulb went off about what you were saying earlier about acting out. And, and it's like, you know, if they're, if, if they're, if they're, your child is upset about something and, and they're acting it out, it's like, there's a way we say this. And this is why sometimes the nuance is so important. We, if we just say, wow, they're really acting out and we don't think about what that means and we don't connect it to something deeper. We're going, wow, they're really acting out. That's just a negative. It's like, Oh, really acting out, you know? Um, but if we, if we connect it to what you were saying earlier, Oh yeah, they're acting something out. They're acting something out. What is it? (laughs) I know. And then you can actually like, see like the energy you have is exactly what I want people to feel is it's like, almost like, 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 what could it be? Like, almost like I have the, it's like, I'm a, it's like a sacred responsibility to be able to look at your child and know that they cannot figure themselves out in that moment. And the world is not going to take the time to figure them out, but I will, Mm. you know, Mm. I will be the one that will, will say, yeah, it gets me a little teary, even into this to like, think about like how, when, isn't that the most, isn't that what we want our children to feel is at, an, at the, the only relationship they have any chance of getting that in is the parent-child relationship. Because that's not how life works. And in general, life doesn't work that people are slowing down enough to really hold us. I mean, maybe some, we have some relationships where so, maybe we're lucky to have some relationships where we're that held that deeply. But we, the one relationship where it's like we're allowed as parents to do that and the child is allowed to be dependent on us, like it's beautiful and we get to hold that for them and we get to be their guide. We get to guide them back to themselves. Because when we when we don't do that, what happens is our kids start to, they have to shut down in some ways. Like if they're not being met emotionally, they have to shut down their emotions to be safe in the world, to be safe in their home. Yeah. And it's not easy and I'm not and I'm it's not something we have to be perfect about, but it's something that we can learn to do better. Yeah. And and the more we do it, the safer our kids feel, the more likely they're going to be able to talk to us and they're going to be able to tell us things that are vulnerable things that they might not share with other people. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I, I'm just struck by this, this idea that, um, and we've talked a little bit about this, but that, um, we're not saying, we're not talking about this to pile homework onto an already busy parent of like, you really should be doing uh, more meditation or more, you know, you really (laughs) should be learning this new strategy for this. Um, in fact, I would say it's the opposite. Mm -hmm. We don't want people to be feeling like they just need another thing to, to try to be a better person. It's, it's, um, 
really coming from a place of knowing and having the experience of having insights that help make my life easier, make my relationship with my child better, that, that actually don't cost a lot or don't take a lot of energy, um, or at least don't take more energy and effort than what's already happening. Yeah. They might take energy, but it's actually a net savings and, and more effective. Absolutely. <laughs> right. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's way less energy. Yeah. It just seems, or at the end of the year. <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the century. <laughs> at the end of the, well, right. Maybe even 18 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's not get too carried away. Yeah. So, yeah. So I just wanted, I, I, but I do, I do want to emphasize that it's like, it's like, um, and look, people are very different in how they go about learning things. And I am more of a person who likes to just absorb things and then let them sort of work in the background or, mm. or kind of like just sort of organically integrate. Mm-hmm. And, and other people are a lot more detail oriented. They want to write things down and they want to take notes and they want to think about it. And, and it's, you know, everyone, it, different strategies work differently for different people. So, um, but but I, I I just feel like there's a way in which what we're really talking about is um, shifting into an overall mindset where we're we're being understanding, we're staying grounded within ourselves, and we're we're a lot we're we're understanding our role differently, our our responsibility that that it's not just to get our kids to behave that we're we're giving them an education an emotional education in the process of going through all these ups and downs it's like we're these are learning opportunities and if and and the more i think we see them as such the more we can sort of make you know lemons into lemonade yes All right, well, so this has been a great, really rich and full episode with a lot in it. And I would just invite people to take one thing, to just find something in here that feels like it's something you want to pay attention to. And um, and then just literally bring awareness to it this week. And you might find you need to listen to this a couple of times. I don't know. I mean, I feel like there was so much in this. And um, I'm excited because I think it's really important stuff. Thanks everyone for joining us. It's so, we really, really appreciate it. And um, we are looking forward to, um, to having you join us next week. And, um, and as always, if you are valuing this, if you're appreciating it, please you know, subscribe and if you haven't already and share it and review it and rate it with five stars if you like, <laughs> if you feel like it's worthy and we hope it is. And then um, we will see you next time. Yeah. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.